Thank you, Brian, for that. So leading up to this Sunday, there's been two words that's been rattling in my mind the whole for about, I would say, 14 days or so, and it's new life. And I've just been thinking about those two words over and over leading up to one, our baptisms, two, my son's first birthday, and then my baby girl that's going to be born in about three weeks. So spiritually, physically, even corporately, I've been thinking new life, new life, new life. So as we've been approaching this Sunday, we're going to actually take a break from our normal study in First Corinthians this morning, and we're going to do uh, just the sermon on being successful in life. Since we're dealing with new life, everybody wants to be successful. I mean, who doesn't want to succeed? Who doesn't want to excel? Who doesn't want to be blessed with all that they put their hands to? And so luckily for us, the creator God that controls all things gives us the blueprint to success. He literally tells us, if you do this, then you will accomplish all that you want. You will be blessed. You will have a very fruitful life. Now, for me, I want to maximize my time. I want to be fruitful. I want to accomplish things. I want to look back on my life when I'm on my deathbed and say, I did all that I could do. And I'm sure that you are very much in the same boat. And so the question then becomes, how in the world do we get her done? How can I, how can you, how can we actually make our life matter? Well, lucky, luckily for us, the Bible tells us just that. So before we get into our text in Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to play some musical chairs with some Bible verses. And I want to show you a phrase in the New Testament that is repeated over and over. And it really is the key to success. And it's the phrase, walk worthy. Now, when I read that, when you read that, it may not necessarily be apparent what a worthy walk consists of or what we are called to do. But the Bible uses this phrase over and over to command us to live a life in a very specific pattern. And so turn your Bibles quickly to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And we're going to run through four verses before we get into our text that talks about this worthy walk. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, starting at verse 12. And Paul writes and says, so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. So we see here the very first thing in 1 Thessalonians 2.12, we are called to walk worthy to whom? Specifically, God. Because he has called you into his kingdom and his glory. Now that's one uh, area to file away in our mind. Now flip back one book to Colossians chapter 1 and verse 10, and we're going to see another mention of this worthy walk. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 10, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So this worthy walk is for the purpose of pleasing whom? God, to please the Lord through good works. Now flip back one more book to Philippians chapter 1. In Philippians chapter 1 and verse 27, we have our phrase again. 
And Paul writes, only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. So here we have the worthy walk, and it is for the benefit of other Christians. See, when I'm doing what I'm called to do and you're doing what you're called to do and everybody in this room is doing what they're called to do, who benefits? The church. We are built up, edified. We're supporting one another, encouraging one another, serving and blessing one another, and the entire corporate body is blessed. Now, let's go one more chapter back to Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1. And this is kind of the launching pad to our text this morning. Paul writes in Ephesians 4.1, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling by which you have been called. Since God elected or voted you, that's the word calling, walk worthy. Make sure that you represent his name well. And you have a beautiful name. You are a Christian. So rep the name well. Now we go to our text and we'll tie this all together to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 through 17. The question then becomes, how in the world do I walk worthy? How in the world do I maximize my life? And here we have three principles for living. And really they are principles for success. And I promise you based on God's word, this truth. If you and I apply these three things to our daily life, your life will be radically different. And don't take my word for it. Try me. Test the Lord. Test scripture and see if this isn't true. Apply these to your life and watch God radically move in your life. Now, here are the three principles for success. In verse 15, we have prioritizing your daily decisions. If you, every single day, prioritize your do's and don'ts, the good and the bad, and you actually say, I'm going to do this and not do this, and examine our daily choices, you will see a radical change. Number two in verse 16, prioritizing your time. If you prioritize your time and you don't waste your time, you will see God radically move in your life. And here is verse 17, our last principle for living. And it's verse 17, prioritize the Lord's will. If you put God's will in front of your will, you will see a radical change in your life. So let's look at these three principles and then we'll uh, get into it. Verse 15, prioritizing daily decisions. Paul writes, therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise men. So Bertie, I have a question for you. When you read the word therefore, what do you ask? Why is it there? there? Good job, Randy. (laughs) We ask, why is it therefore? When you read in the Bible, therefore, it's Paul or the author saying in conclusion or, you know, since then. And so whenever we read therefore, we go to the immediate context and we ask, why is it therefore? So if you look at verse 8, 
Paul is telling us really the context of this passage. In chapter 5 and verse 8, For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Now go to verse 14. For this reason it says, Awake, sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So Paul is writing to the church, and he's really writing to believers. And he's saying, you used to be in darkness, but now Christ's light has shined upon you. You used to be asleep, and now you are awake. Who you used to be was dead, and now you are alive. He's talking about the Christian salvation. You, just like me, at one point in life, lived a life that was completely opposed to God. And you didn't feel bad about it. In fact, if you didn't grow up in the church, you didn't really think or know about God at all. You just danced to your own DNA. And you did whatever made you feel good. And so we lived the life opposed to God. We were what the Bible defines as sleepers. We were dead men walking. We were literally alive, but not really alive. And then Christ comes and he removes the veil. He shines the light and now we're alive to God. What's the next step? Once we're little babies, what do babies do? They grow, right? You crawl and then you walk and you're a little toddler and then you're a young adult and then you're a grown man. And the whole point of the Bible is to be like Jesus. You start a newborn babe and you grow into maturity until you are like Christ. And that process is called walking. And so Paul says, therefore, since you're saved, this is what you ought to do. Be careful how you walk. So when the Bible talks about walking, unless it's a specific narrative where two men are walking on the Emmaus road, for example, the Bible defines walking as conduct or lifestyle patterns, or ultimately choices that you make. That's what the Bible refers to when it talks about walking. Be careful about the choices that you make. Don't make choices that aren't good for you. Examine what you are doing. So, for example, when Adam was walking with God in the garden, it's very unlikely Adam and God were holding hands, looking at the beautiful scenery in Eden. Very unlikely. That means that Adam was walking according to God's will. He was walking or acting and living and making choices that were pleasing to God. And so they walked together. When Enoch walked with God and then he was taken up, it's the same idea. Very, very unlikely he and God walked together like you and I would walk together. He walked in the will and likeness of what God's character is like, and then God called him up to be with him. So when we're talking about walking, it's talking about choices. Now, Paul says, walk how? In verse 15. Carefully. Be careful how you walk. This is an interesting word in Greek, the word careful. It means to adhere to a strict code of conduct. And in Greek, it's used in, in, in two different scenarios, in the medical field and in the military. So a surgeon, when he goes to do open heart or she goes to do open heart surgery, 
They're not just doing whatever they feel like doing. There's a very strict code of conduct by which they have learned this is the right way, right? You never see a surgeon with dirty hands and dirty tools, just, you know, cutting wherever he or she may like. No, there's a very specific method. There's a very specific practice. And in the military, a private goes into the boot, into boot camp. Let's say the Marine Corps. He or she is, is not determining anything. They are submitting to a very strict code of conduct. They are told when to sleep, when to get up, how to make their bed, when to go to bed, what they're going to eat, what they're going to do. They must adhere to a strict code of conduct. It means be careful with the decisions that you make. Now, my wife, I love her to death. But here's the word, but. <laughs> but. I can't stand how she walks. And this is why. And physically how she walks. Because she doesn't pick up her feet when she walks. So she's just dragging her feet, you know, throughout the house or whatever. She'd never make it as a ninja. She would... And you can hear her a mile away. And and it's not the noise that gets under my skin. It's the fact that she couples it with she's not careful where she's walking. So we're at Disneyland, and there's the cobblestone road, and, and guess what my wife does? Ijole, right? There she goes. She's tripping and stumbling. There's a crack in the pavement. Guess what my wife is doing? I hear her say, Ijole, and there she goes, stumbling and tripping. The pavement is uneven. Guess what my wife does? You guessed it. She doesn't pay attention to where she walks. Now, Paul is warning us, spiritually speaking, Pay attention because the world is filled with cobblestone roads, with cracks in the pavement, with uneven walking spaces. The world is filled with that. And it can so easily trip you up. It can so easily stumble you. It can so easily ensnare you. So be mindful of the conduct by which you are performing your life. May the conduct that you have be very strict and focused and examined rather than freely doing whatever you want to do. Now, Paul tells us exactly how to walk. And in verse 15, he tells us what not to do and then what to do. First, he says, not as unwise men. Anybody want to take a gander at what unwise men in another translation is? Okay. Moral corruption. And there's a very specific word the Bible uses. It's the Greek word. Anybody want to give it a shot? Fool. Do not walk and act and make choices that are foolish. Do not be a fool. Now, here are some things that we must know about a fool so that we don't do them. And it's the acronym DUMP. D-U-M-P, because it is a dumpster fire if you're living this way. So the D begins with denying God. And at the very heart of the fool is the denial of God. In Psalm chapter 14 and verse 1, the Bible says, The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have committed abominable deeds. There is no one who does good. At the heart of the fool, they declare there is no God. Now, we know this today as practical atheism. 
practical atheism says there is no God. There's no such thing as supernatural. Everything is determined by natural means and abilities. And so this evolves into what we know as practical atheism today. The Bible calls it a fool's game, a fool's errand, foolish way of living. The fool says there is no God. Since there's no God, they then go to the you. They begin to undermine God with their own lifestyle choices. You see, you and I, we were created in whose image? Was the atheist created in God's image? You better believe it. In the image and likeness of God, the atheist was created in God's image. So that means every human being has a desire and will to worship. The question is, what and who are they worshiping? And so the atheist, that desire to worship and serve and to have a belief system is still there, even though God is absent from their life. So they begin to create their own moral conduct. They begin to say, well, this is right, this is wrong, and it's to alleviate my guilt or to bring me satisfaction or fulfillment outside of God, and they create their own belief system. In Proverbs 12, 15, the Bible says, the way of the fool is right in his own eyes. So they reject God, then they undermine God by creating their own system. Then after that, we go to the M. They begin to mock sin. The fool mocks at sin. Why? Because the natural man is opposed to God. And so when we redefine what sin is, you see in our culture today, good becomes evil, evil becomes good, bitter becomes sweet, sweet becomes bitter. It is a complete redefining of life. And that is because we've abandoned God. We then undermine God and set up our own belief system. And then we look at God's ways and we begin to mock it. So we mock sin. And then the worst of all comes the P. We begin to promote our way of living. And our way of living is sinful down to the very core. So we look at, uh, for example, uh, Romans chapter 1. And we see all of these things, a denial of God, an establishing of a new belief system, the mocking and living of sin, and then the promotion of sin to other people. So if you turn to Romans chapter 1 briefly, we'll see all of this in one verse or in one section. Romans 1 and verse 21. For even though they knew God, now, they is the natural humanistic individual that has denied the true and living God. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they have become what? Fools. So here's the rejection of God. They deny God. Then what do they do after that? Verse 23, and exchange the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and of four-footed animals and of crawling things. They begin to worship humanism and they begin to worship nature. Have you noticed today in practical atheism, they worship men's philosophies and then Mother Earth. Right, It's this whole green climate and green initiative to worship earth. This is because they reject Father God. Now we go on further. 
Verse 26, for this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. Then we see in verse 28, and just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper. So here is a complete lifestyle and sin, uh, choice of sin. And then the promotion of it in verse 32. And although they knew the, or they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty, hearty approval to those who practice them. Have you noticed in our culture today that those who live sinful lifestyle patterns are exalted? They're promoted. They're uh, worshipped almost. And it's because the fool promotes sin. And Paul is saying, don't act, Christian, as if God doesn't exist as if he hasn't given us a very strict code of conduct to live by. Don't act as if sin isn't dangerous, and definitely don't promote sin in your life. This is the way of the fool. Now, going back to verse 15, we aren't called to be unwise, but what? Wise. So what does it mean to be wise? Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 7. Proverbs 1 and verse 7. The fear of the Lord is what? The beginning of knowledge and wisdom. But the fool, what? Despises it. So the fear of the Lord, that's what it means to be a wise human being. So pretend we're baking. The fear of the Lord has four ingredients. Ingredient number one is fear. Actual, knees shaking, uh, hands sweating fear. Why? Because we know that God is not only creator, but judge, jury, and executioner. And that should cause fear in everybody's heart. That God it can not only kill our body, but kill our what? Soul. And that's why the Bible says fear him. So that's one part. Part number two is belief. In order to fear the Lord, we must believe in the Lord. Part three is worship. Fearing the Lord is a life of worship. Now four, fearing the Lord is obedience. Now when you put all four of those ingredients, you stir them and you bake for 350, out comes the fear of the Lord. Out comes the beginning of wisdom. So if that's what we do, or if that's who we are, then what do we do? It comes to obedience. It comes to doing what God has said. Now, going back to that word careful, it's an adherence of a strict code of conduct. For Christians, where do we find that code of conduct? The scripture. So turn in your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15 through 17. We fear the Lord, therefore we obey the Lord. What are we to obey? The scripture. Second Timothy 3.15. And that from childhood, you, he's writing to Timothy, have known the sacred writings, which are able to give you what? The wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Jesus Christ. 
All scripture is inspired by God and what? Profitable, useful. It's an asset for teaching, reproof, correction, for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for what? Every good work. You see, wisdom is not what you know. It's what you do with what you know. There's a lot of people who know this Bible way better than most of us in this room or everybody in this house, but they don't apply it. So it means absolutely nothing. God has given us this Bible to apply the Bible to our lives. And when we apply it, we have wisdom. It is profitable. And what's the end result of the man of God or woman of God? They are what? Equipped for every good work. When I apply this book to my life, what comes out the other end? Good works. Choices, lifestyle patterns, decisions. When you do them the right way, they equate to good works. So the question then becomes, how in the world do I actually make the right decisions? So here's a, a filter for you. You know, when you go at any kind of search bar, there's filters so you can specifically find what you're looking for. So here's our filter. Uh, it's up there for making the right decisions. Anybody see it? Is she up there yet? Does this decision glorify God? If God exists, we are called to fear him. Bring him glory and honor. So if I'm deciding if I should do something, I must ask myself, does this decision glorify God? Number two, what does it say? Does it qualify as sin? We are called to live a strict code of conduct. If what I'm about to do, the Bible says is sinful, should I do it? No. And then ultimately, does this decision equate to or equal to good behavior and good works? See, this is the thing about a decision. Number one, they compound. Number two, every decision can affect other decisions. And number three, we're given hundreds or thousands of decisions every single day. So we need to filter them. So when the alarm goes off, I have a decision. Do I get up or do I hit that snooze button? Do I brush my teeth in the morning? Do I eat breakfast in the morning? Am I going to hop in the carpool lane illegally? Am I going to drive the speed limit or am I going to break the speed limit? Every single day we are given decisions. Now our decisions could impact other decisions. What happens if I hit the snooze button too many times? Now I'm late. Well, maybe now I'm not going to eat breakfast. And maybe I am going to drive in the carpool lane illegally. And maybe I am going to speed. All of those decisions are made because I hit the snooze button too many times. Cheat meals. Having one cheat meal, no problem. What if every single meal is a cheat meal? They My bad decisions compound. If I don't brush my teeth one morning, the consequence of that, maybe I have bad breath. What if I don't brush my teeth for three years? Those little decisions compound. So, no friends. 
So if decisions compound, if they are determinate on one another, if they all bear consequence, small or big, then we must filter our decision making. If we use that, it will keep us on the straight and narrow. So number one, if you want to be successful in life, prioritize the choices you make. If you follow the script up there, you will be doing great. Now let's look at principle number two, verse 16. Prioritize your time, making the most of your time because the days are evil. Now, making the most is a phrase in English, but in Greek, it's one word, and it's the Greek word, exakoranzo. My wife, when I tell a story, she calls me, she says, esacharado. We get our English word, exaggerate, to exaggerate. To make the most of something means to exaggerate your time. Now, what does it mean to exaggerate something? Blow it out of proportion. You take something small and what do you do with it? You make it big. Paul is commanding us, you are given a limited time on this earth. Maximize it. Make it as big as you possibly can. Make the most of every opportunity. Exaggerate your time here on earth. And here's the truth, is the brevity of life. Life passes by and it passes by so fast. I mean, in June, next month is going to be two decades since I graduated high school. And I scratch my head and I'm like, I can't believe it. Right. There's a gray hair here and a gray hair there. And I'm, I'm waiting for the ball to come in and things are sagging and it's it's incredible. But that's what the Bible says is you have a very short time on this earth. One day you're a little toddler. The next day somebody else is changing your diaper as an adult. That is the truth. Listen to what the psalmist writes in Psalm uh, 90 verse 10 and 12. As for the days of our life. They are, they contain 70 years, or if due to strength, 80 years. Yet pride is but labor and sorrow, for soon it is gone and we fly away. The Bible says, hey, even if you're strong and you're doing well, 80 years. 80 years. Now, what is 80 years compared to eternity? It's not even a drop in the bucket. And that's the realization that we have to have. Now, verse 12, because of that. So teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of, anybody in verse 12? Wisdom. Wisdom. What are we to prepare or present to God? A wise heart, which means a life that has made wise choices. We're not here for a long time. While we're here, present wisdom before God. Make sure that you do the right thing. Now, the Greeks, they worshiped all kinds of gods. And one god that they worshiped was a Greek god named Kairos. Now, Kairos in Greek means time. Now, Kairos is the god of opportunity. And this is what he looks like. He has wings on his feet. He has wings on his back. And he's on top of a ball. And the idea is he's always moving forward. Just like opportunity and just like time, it never stands still. It's always moving forward. Now, he has a, a funky hairdo. This guy, Kairos, he has a big braid, almost like a tennis racket handle, that comes out. 
And then on the back of his head, he's completely bald. And the Greeks would teach that as kairos or opportunity comes, you have to grab it. You have to seize it while it's coming towards you because once it passes, it's gone forever. And that's time. While it's here, we maximize it because once it's gone, that commodity, you can never buy it. You can never earn it. You can never get it back. Exaggerate your time on earth because, Paul says, the days are evil. Everywhere there's cobblestones, cracks in the road, uneven pavement where we're stumbling and tripping and, and hurting ourselves and falling in pitfalls. And Paul is saying, be wise with your time. Don't hang around people that are going to tear you down. You see, people are great, but there are some crowds that elevate us and there are other crowds that rip us down. And it's so much easier for them to pull you down than for us to pull them up. So prioritize who you hang around with. Prioritize the places you go. There, are, My old stomping grounds is probably not a great place for me to hang out in. If I'm an alcoholic, the bar is probably not the best place to go eat salted peanuts, right? There are places that each one of us can potentially be a stumbling block. So prioritize your time because the entire world system is opposed to your belief system completely opposed to your belief system, and there are dangers and pitfalls to snare us each and every day. So prioritize our time. Then the question becomes what? How? What do I do to maximize my time on earth? So here are four things. Number one, serve God. I can sleep in and watch NFL football on Sunday, or I can get up and I can serve the church. That's a choice. And it's also maximizing my time or not. I can go to the golf course or I can serve others. That's a choice, maximizing my time or not. The number one way we can spend our time is John chapter 9 and verse 4 by first serving God. Jesus says we must work the works of him who sent me. As long as it is day, night is coming when no one can work. So while we're here on earth, serve God. We're all going to be accountable to him. We're all going to have to stand before him and, and present our life's work before him. So while we have time, serve him. Here's another one. Serve other people. In Galatians chapter 6 and verse 10. Serve other people. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So there's two groups of people. One is unbelievers, do good to them. Serve them. While you have opportunity, let your light so shine before men that they see your what? Good works. And who do they glorify? Your Father in heaven. You are a walking, talking, breathing witness before God. And so we serve others. And then who else do we serve? Those within the household of faith. Our brothers and sisters in Christ. So when we maximize our time serving God, we maximize our time serving others. Here's a third one. Colossians 4 verse 5 and 6. We evangelize and we apologize. Now, when you hear uh, apologize, you immediately think, I'm sorry. 
That's not what the Bible defines as apology. Apology is a defense to make defense of. So how do we maximize our time? We share the gospel and we defend the gospel. We share the gospel, we defend the gospel. Colossians chapter 4, verse 5. Conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. Let your speech always be with grace, as though seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. You share the gospel, some people are combative, you work through that. You share the gospel, other people submit to it, and you praise God for it. Nonetheless, we go out and we make disciples. That's called the great commission, not the great suggestion. Here's the fourth thing that we do, and it's not really what we do, it's how we do it. Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and verse 10. Whatever your hands find to do, do it with all your might. For there is no activity or planning or knowledge or wisdom in the grave where you are going. What is Solomon saying? He says, whatever you are going to do, do it with full gusto. Why? Because when you're dead, it's too late. We serve God with gusto. We serve each other with gusto. And then we evangelize and we apologize with might. And this is what dry has driven me crazy being a pastor as I watch people. And I don't know what it is because for whatever reason, it's like, oh, I'm a volunteer. Therefore, I can just show up when I want. I can just half-ass it. I can just, you know, just be so nonchalant about the ministry. And I really don't understand that. I don't get it because we will all stand before God and we will give a testament and a testimony to what we have done. And not only what we do, but the manner in which we have done it. Now, the Bible says, do everything with gusto. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And so I don't know why that that switch doesn't turn on sometimes when we take that into ministry. I mean, we give our families the best, we give our employers the best, and then when it comes to God, it's almost like, eh, when I get around to it, then I'll get around to it. That's the wrong way to look at things. Because what will end up happening is you will not maximize your time because you haven't set proper priorities. If priority one isn't God, then you will never maximize your time. Golf, football, Disneyland, whatever, building a new home, saving, working, those will always take preeminence. Do whatever you do to the glory of God. Serve him, serve others, evangelize, defend the faith, do it with all your might, and the Bible says you are maximizing your time on earth. And guess what? When rewards day come, you will have an eternal bounty of fruit. Something that your 401k, your IRA will never be able to touch. Whatever you do, do with all your might. Now here's uh, the third priority for living. Put the Lord's will above your own will. Verse 17. 
So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Now, here's the number one question I have gotten. What is God's will for my life? I've heard that more times than I can count. What should I, should I date this woman? Should I marry this person? Should I go to this school? Should I quit my job and start a business? I don't know what God's will is for my life. So here, Paul says, don't be foolish. Understand the Lord's will. The idea is understanding with the emphasis on application. Do God's will and you're going to be just fine. So what is God's will for your life specifically? What is it? Well, we don't have to go far because God tells us. God tells us what his will is for your life. So the first one is give thanks. First Thessalonians chapter five and verse 18. This is the first thing that God wants from everybody. In everything, give thanks for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So in everything, does that mean good things? And that's easy to do. What about bad things? What about really bad things? In everything, give thanks. Why do you think that's so fundamental? That God is saying, this is my will for you to, to give me thanks? Why do you think that's so fundamental? You show our reliance and gratitude and Really, when you distill gratitude down, it really distills down to humility. God, I'm just so grateful and thankful that you have given me this or that this has happened in my life. Or, Lord, I don't understand why this is happening in my life, but I give you thanks anyway. There's humility, there's faith, there's gratitude, there's reliance, all the things that our maker desires from us, his children. So that's number one, give thanks. Here's number two, good works. First Peter chapter two, verse 13 through 17. Now this is going to be hard for some of us to swallow. It is for me, but good works. First Peter two, verse 13 through 17. Submit yourselves to the Lord's, for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority or to governors as set by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God, that by doing right, you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Act as free men and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. So what is God's will for us? One is to submit to governmental bodies. Super hard to do when the governmental bodies are super corrupt. We are called to nevertheless honor them. Honor all people, whether they see your viewpoints or not. Love the brotherhood, fear God. And what is the last one it says? Honor the king which is really rough right now. Nonetheless, we are called to do it. So doing good works, submitting, honoring, loving, fearing. Now here's the third will of God for you. And this begins the S's. The third will of God for you, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1 through 4. Finally then, brethren, 
We request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us instruction as to how you ought to walk and please God just as you actually do walk, that you excel still more. For you know what commandments we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That is, that you abstain from sexual immorality. Now, what's the next will of God for your life? It's this big $5 word, sanctification, which just means spiritual growth. Spiritual growth. Now ask yourselves, am I closer to God this year than I was last year? This year than I was five years ago? This year than I was a decade ago? If the answer is no, you are not being sanctified. You are not growing and maturing in grace. That's God's will for your life. Oh, we missed one, didn't we? First Peter chapter 4, suffering for Christ. 1 Peter chapter 4, and I think what, verse 19? Suffering for Christ. Here's a verse that no pastor ever likes to preach about because it's probably not going to add money to their tithing box. But nonetheless, it's God's will for your life. Therefore, those who those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in what is doing right. Now, when Christ came, he was despised, he was rejected, he was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. He was virtually hated by everybody except his own little crew. As we live in Christ, you also will be hated. You will be persecuted. This is a promise that you never see on coffee mugs or posters or anything like that, but it is biblical truth that those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. It is inevitable. Now, something we're going to introduce next month is we're going to celebrate Life Month in June. And so there's a Planned Parenthood that is... uh potentially being built here in Fontana. And so this is a perfect time for us as Christians to be the thorn in the flesh. And this is the perfect time to be despised and rejected and persecuted by the world and by anybody in our city who opposes that. So we'll be getting more into that as we get into June. But nonetheless, there's definitely opportunity coming where we can be despised and suffer persecution. Now, here's the last one. Turn back to Ephesians 5, starting at verse 17. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And, and it can also be translated, but, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making medley with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Here's the next will of God for you. Be spirit-filled. And that ultimately comes down to obeying the Bible. 
So we do good works, we give thanks in all things, we suffer persecution for Christ's sake, we are sanctified or growing in grace, and we are obedient to God by being filled with the Spirit. That is how we perform the will of God. But Chris, you never specifically said if I should marry that woman. Yes, I did. You never said if I specifically should go to that campus. Yes, I did. You never said if I should quit my job and start a business. Yes, I did. See, here's the truth. Is when you are doing those things. So here's a conditional statement. If you do those above things, then you do whatever your heart desires. And that's God's will for your life. So if you're doing the above and then you still want to marry that woman, that's God's will. If you want to go to that campus, that's God's will. If you want to start that business, that's God's will for your life. The Bible says, Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. The word delight in Hebrew just means accomplish God's will. And he will give you the desires of your heart. So if you desire to go to Africa or you desire to start a business or you desire to build a nice home or you desire to start a ministry or you desire to start a family, whatever it is, whatever your heart desires, that's God's will for your life if you do the above. And he will bless you. He will honor you. And that's how you see the joy of the Lord in other people because they are doing exactly what they want to do but they're putting God first. They're prioritizing their time. They're prioritizing the Lord's will and they're prioritizing their choices and they're happy doing it. Amen? Amen. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that we can get into your scripture, God, and we just thank you for just today, new life, um, new believers, new converts, new babies, Lord God. And we're just so thankful. We're thankful for everybody joining us today, Lord God. And we're thankful for the breath in our lungs and the the beating hearts in our chest, Lord. And we're thankful for handshakes and hugs. And we're thankful for the gospel. And we're thankful for this church. And we're thankful for so much. And God, it's so easy to take our our eyes off of what you have done and focus on the things that you haven't accomplished in our lives yet. And Lord, you've told us what to do, and so oftentimes we want to put the cart before the horse. And so Lord, would you give us the opportunity to really examine each and every decision we make, to exaggerate and expand our time on earth, and to give thanks and do good and suffer and sanctify and be spirit-filled in your name. And God, when we do that, our cup overflows. And we are very rich. And so, Lord, would you just be with us as you've given us these principles for success. Now the onus is on us to apply them. And so, Lord, help us. Help us when we want, like sheep, to go astray. Bring us back into the fold. And Lord, may we be reminded where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. You are kind and loving and benevolent to your own. Bless your people today in Jesus' name. Amen.
that is the end of this week's podcast. We thank you for joining us for another inspiring message. If you enjoyed this teaching, please take a moment and share it with others. If you're interested and would like to find out more information about our location, time of worship service, or even what ministries we offer, we encourage you to visit our Facebook page at Journey Community Church Fontana, where you can find all that information and more. Again, on behalf of Journey Community Church in Fontana, we thank you for tuning in. Have a blessed week, and we'll see you here next time.